Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 159. I'm delighted to bring this episode to you this week because this week's guest is someone that I've wanted to get onto the podcast for quite a while. It might be someone that you um, may not have heard of, possibly you do follow his work, but this week's guest is international educator through Functional Range Systems, Dana John Heimbecker. It was great to get Dana on the podcast. We talked about his background, his career. We spoke about the importance of mobility and also areas of focus for players and the sort of experience that he's had both playing and coaching some of the key areas that he focuses on with players. We talked about mobility versus flexibility. We spoke about the functional range system. We talked about fitting mobility into the day and also where strength training fits into the process as well. So we covered loads in this one. Really interesting um, viewpoint from Dana, and they do some great work at Functional Range Systems as well. So make sure you go and check those guys out. I know he, he spoke about some of the courses they've got coming up, so just keep an eye out for that. If you're not following them, go and give them a follow. Dana is over on Instagram, so go over to Instagram and search for Perform. And you, you can check out all the great content that he puts out on there. Just before we get into the podcast, we've got two upcoming events. One on the 4th of November at Leighton Orient Football Club. And one on the 16th of November at Newcastle United Football Club. Our events are networking events. So they're all designed around you growing your network, meeting other coaches, getting into discussions um, getting insights for other, clo- uh, other clubs and coaches on how they operate, um, essentially growing your network in the game. We've got some great speakers on these events. David Johnson from West Ham is going to be talking at the Leighton Orient event and Dawn Scott, previously of the Lionesses and also the US national team, is going to be presenting on the USA's preparation for the 2019 World Cup. So some really exciting presentations coming. But a big announcement as well is we have just confirmed um, an extra speaker for the event at Leighton Orient. I'm delighted to say that a good friend of mine um, and a good friend of Football Fitness Federation, someone that supported us from the very start, physical performance coach Jordan Tyra is also going to be presenting at Leighton Orient as well. So we're going to have Jordan and David both presenting at the Leighton Leighton Orient event. As this podcast goes out, um, we do have tickets still remaining. So head over to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab and you'll be able to grab yourself tickets for either the Leighton Orient or Newcastle events. I hope to see as many of the listeners there as possible. We'll get into the podcast now. Episode 159 with international educator through the Functional Range Systems, Dana John Heimbecker. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Dana John Heimbecker. Dana, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. It's great to have you on, mate. And I'm just going to tell the audience, I'm sure some might have heard of or follow the work that you do. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But um, you are an international educator through Functional Range Systems. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. But I wanted to dive into your background first. So just give us a little bit of a rundown on your background, your career so far. Yeah, so uh, at a young age, I got into martial arts and I'm from Niagara Falls, Canada. 
So as I transitioned from martial arts into soccer or football, as you call it, uh, it was something that was easy for me to transition just with uh, karate, being so good with your feet and whatnot. And I ended up playing, actually, when I was 18, I was training in Germany uh, for a junior Bundesliga team. And coming from a small region in Canada, it was really eye-opening for me. And I came home and I ended up uh, getting a full athletic scholarship uh, for Marshall University in the Division One of the NCAA. And we competed in one of the top conferences in the United States for four years. After my four year stint in the US, I went to Belgium and I played in the lower leagues there, just trying to find a transition into some higher divisions, obviously. Uh, I had some issues with work permits to get my Italian passport. Uh, then I had two final trials, one in Berlin and then one in Stuttgart for the Stuttgart Kickers. And then I kind of came back here and played semi-professional in Canada. And then I transitioned into the coaching field that I'm in now. Uh, I do soccer skills training, uh, strength conditioning for all athletes. I just finished my manual therapy license. Uh, so I'm a registered uh, massage therapist and I work for uh, FRC or Functional Range Systems. I've been involved with the system for probably the past seven years. I was one of the first uh, instructors uh, working with that Dr. Andrea Ospina. And a lot of that training ethos and training philosophies are heavily influenced by FRC and heavily influenced by the functional range systems. Uh, as of right now, I'm back in Niagara Falls and I'm involved with the Niagara Falls Soccer Club um, with the grassroots training kids from six to 18 years old and some professional uh, soccer players, hockey players. Uh, basically, I train all types of athletes, but soccer is my, my true passion and something that has given me so much opportunity in life to travel the world and to play at a decent level um, in North America. Brilliant. And that, for anyone that isn't following you, I would say to go and, and go and give you a follow because you put some great information out around mobility and obviously the work that you do with your clients, your athletes through, through FRC, which are, we're going to touch on in a little bit. But I was just going to mm -hmm. ask to start with, do you want to just give us a little bit of a rundown into the importance of mobility? And the reason I wanted to get you on is because not only are you now qualified and, and this is what you do day to day, but also from your playing background as well, it's really interesting to, to get your perspective. So the importance of mobility for performance Right. I mean, I, I think it's such a, it, well, mobility is in vogue right now. And I find there's such a large misunderstanding of what mobility is. And as we define mobility through the functioning systems or FRC, it's, it's strength through flexibility. Uh, and not only is it mobility, but it's joint mobility. We want to look at the joint level. Um, the importance of joint mobility at any athletic or sport performance field is, is essentially going to give you the ability to control your body. Uh, not only give you the ability to control your body, but it also gives you the degrees of freedom within your joint. Uh, to explain further what your degrees of freedom are, is, is basically your body, the, build, the ability to control your limbs in space, and also the ability to control your body on the field specifically. Uh, like we talked about before, Ben, I mean, I feel in hindsight, I mean, it's always 2020, you kind of look back and you're like, well, what are things that I could have changed with myself that would have made my game better? And I find hip mobility is, is such a key, key, key component, um, not only for body control, but for injury mitigation, uh, for joint or tissue resiliency. Uh, all these components kind of fall under the umbrella of mobility. Uh, I feel through the FRS system or functional range uh, conditioning, 
Uh, mobility is very well educated at the joint level, uh, very scientifically. It, it does a good job of understanding the difference between expressing mobility and training mobility. And we can get into that further, but basically expressing mobility is expressing the range of motion that you already have. And then training mobility is trying to increase your range of motion and your strength through that range of range of motions that you do not have. Now for a soccer player specifically, certain things that we would look at, good internal external rotation of the hip because that's fundamental joint capacity uh, through a ball and socket joint. Also then we look down the lower limb a little bit more tibia rotation. Uh, if you look with female athletes, ACL injuries are almost an epidemic right now. Uh, the amount of ACL injuries, not only for female athletes, even for male athletes, is huge. So we look at injury rates are rising there. So if we can mitigate the severity of the injury through ACL injuries, then we're going to be on the field longer and we're going to be able to get better. Uh, then you look at ankles. Um, inversion sprains are huge. Uh, people rolling their ankle on the side. Um, if we can prepare the tissue or bulletproof the tissue on the lateral component of the ankle, then we can, you know, we can become more resilient. And then again, if we're not, if we're injuring ourselves, then we're not be able to play. And it just comes down to the severity of the injuries. So to kind of summarize what the importance of mobility is, it's just a whole umbrella of skill sets and characteristics that an athlete can possess. Uh, and I find in, in, in terms of body control, mobility is one of the most important uh, vectors or skills that you would want to acquire and possess and maintain as an athlete. And especially as a soccer player, I mean, you look at certain injury rates uh, with hips, groin, knees and ankles, um, all those can be mitigated. I don't think they can be prevented. Uh, and if we look at how we're training uh, certain things, I think we can improve upon how we're training. Yeah, 100%. And, and the phrase you used before, strength-free flexibility, that's probably where a lot of the misconception comes, isn't it? That people think they're two separate things. We either work strength right. or we work our flexibility yep. through stretching. Um, right. So either doing a strength session or a stretching session. So can you go into a little bit more detail on that in terms of how strength um, and flexibility work together in order, especially sure. we can touch on the system now as well, because I think some of the work that you guys do is brilliant. For sure. So you look at two components here. You have active and passive uh, range of motion. So passive range of motion is the pliability and the extensibility of the tissue, the ability of your body to acquire the range through assistance of gravity or through assistance of someone else. So that would be flexibility. That's the first box you need to cross off because through functional range assessment, we want to assess active and passive ratios, but you're not going to have more active range than passive range. So passive range is the first box that you want to cross off. So you need the range in order to, you need to acquire the passive range before you make it active. Now active is the ability to have neurological control or the ability to create tension and contract in that range of motion. Uh, I think the best example would be being able to uh, touch your toes, for example, you know, forward fold, so straight leg hip flexion, using gravity to assist you into that range of motion. Now, the ability to lift your leg up, maybe like a martial artist, have active control without any assistance, that is active range. So in the soccer world, we look at passive stretching, which still has its, its um, effectiveness in, in the strength and in actually, sorry, in the soccer field. But what you want to do is you want to make that usable. So you want to make that range of motion usable. So just because you can touch your toes 
doesn't necessarily mean that you can catch a catch a volley off the half and over top of your shoulder, for example, about shoulder height. So you have to look at the things that you need to acquire before. And I think it's just very misunderstanding. So we train strength and then we train flexibility, but we can train both at the same time. And that's why I think the system is so effective, especially in the, in the soccer field and the soccer world. I feel that the strength conditioning might be a little bit behind. We might be in too obsessed with numbers and sport performance and all data, which is great. But with functional range assessment, you acquire data active and passive ratios, and then you run that through, uh, you run that through logic, seeing what you need to use that range of motion for. So as a goalie is going to need more different, more range of motion or different range of motion through their ankle, for example, than maybe a center back. A center back is going to need different range of motion because they might be a uh, typical aerial uh, center back winning head balls in comparison to maybe a winger. So you can take those understandings and understanding that they need plus or minus certain degrees within whatever said joint. And then you can start to run that through some data there. And I think it's just a missing component. And I feel the system does a really good job of, of explaining that and kind of educating the importance of strength through flexibility. I'm sure there's a lot of coaches listening that can think of a player now that they've worked with that they would describe as being flexible. So when you're talking yeah. about touching toes, they can they can hit that position really easily. But then when we talk when we can um, moving into like active range, they struggle. And I hope that sort right. of definition that you've just gone into helps with that because it's very different, isn't it? Like, and that's where the misconception has come from. Tremendously. Well, you look at yoga. I mean, I I I I. I, I I educated myself through yoga when I transitioned out of playing. I thought it was a, it was a huge, it was a great component for the mind, the meditation, the breathing, but I wasn't gaining any usable range of motions on the field. If anything, I was getting a little bit slower because I was holding passive stretches for long periods of time. And it wasn't really giving me that uh, contractibility to utilize that range of motion on the field. Um, if we look at active range, we need to be able to contract in that range. We need to be able to, uh, create force, create tension in that range of motion. But when we're spending time doing passive stretching, which does have its component in terms of recovery stimulus, um, in terms of uh, crossing off the box of passive range, but then you look at the player, what, how can you use that range on the field? And that's the biggest and best example for all types of athletes. You want your mobility to transfer over to the field. Obviously, we look at mobility and flexibility. Sometimes they're misunderstood between the two, but mobility is strength through flexibility and having usable ranges of motion that you can utilize for whatever you want to do, what we're talking about specifically, utilizing on the field. Yeah, 100%. I'm glad you brought up before as well about the hips, um, because I was going to ask about some areas you focus on with players. And I mean, the, the amount of players that really struggle for any sort of movement around the hips and then still think it's about stretching, getting into the hamstring, stretching the lower back, stretching the glutes and trying to target these muscles. So it, from your experience, and I know we're talking very broad here and it's, it can be very specific, but what sort of restrictions are people, what, what are players struggling with generally when it comes around the hips? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, obviously it's a very broad, broad question. You would have to take the individual you would have to run them through an assessment. And I know that's difficult in a team setting. 
at with at some levels. I mean, at the professional level, I would expect the medical staff to take notes and run them through a an assessment to see where their deficiencies are. Uh, to from my experience in the past and my experience with some of my students that are soccer players. Uh, I feel that the ability uh, to internally rotate through the hip is, is, is a component for sure. Uh, if you look at daily requirements, it doesn't necessarily stress internal rotation of the hip. And through the system, we look at internal rotation as basically the fundamental joint motion of the hip. So what we're doing is we're kind of looking on ball and socket joints. So you have the head of the femur and the inside acetabulum. And basically what you're trying to look at is axial rotation. Uh, that is a big component that I find is missing uh, just because it's not trained. Uh, and then if you look at from there, when we, when we open up good fundamental joint space, then we can start to acquire flexion extension, which is very specific to anyone that, that runs. Uh, and if you look at repeating patterns over and over and over again and not stressing outside those patterns, that's usually when injury happens. So when you stress the same pattern, you're engraving that path deeper and deeper and deeper. And people's hips are very conditioned for a linear sense. I can relate to myself. For me, medial thigh. Uh, was non-existent in terms of active control. I was a winger, so I was sprinting up and down. So I was very quad and hamstring dominant. Uh, rotation through the hips, so being able to internally rotate my hip down to strike the ball was non-existent. And then if you look at the, if the hips are not functioning at an optimal level, then the energy and the force has got to go somewhere else, low back, knees. So it usually goes through the joint above and below. So I think to overall answer your question, Ben, I mean, not to summarize, but through the hips, I feel we're doing a lot of ballistic uh, passive. So you like your classic hip openers over the hurdles and whatnot, um, which is good. But like I said, what we talked about before, that's expressing your mobility. So that's mm -hmm. expressing the range that you already have. In order to create adaptation and change, you need to isolate the joint. You need to create space. And we utilize tails and rails, which is basically progressive angular isometric loads and regressive angular, angular isometric loads to try to create more capsular space very specifically. Um, that is training, that is taking the joint to create more capsular space. And then from there, you can kind of acquire more linear uh, attributes, uh, which would be flexion extension, especially through the hip, which would be relatable to runners, right? I mean, top part of your gait, you're in hip flexion, bottom part of your gait, you're in hip extension. But if your hip's not functioning properly, there's going to be compensation. And when there's compensation, usually compensation over a long period of time, that leads either to musculoskeletal injuries or that tendon ligament injuries or even, uh, yeah, tendon ligament injuries. Yeah, no, brilliant. It's, and, I, and I like as well, if you touched on the warm up, because it's a massive pet peeve of mine, watching teams warm up and players going through what are meant to be hip drills and opening up through the hips and the, we're just not getting any sort of range, like going through it no. 20% of what they probably should be. And it's just one well, of those, isn't it? When, when you're dealing with a team, I know there's a lot that goes into it because you're dealing with a lot of individuals, but at the same time, we're not getting what we want out of the warm up, are we? Right. And well, the warm up should prepare you for, for, for the, for the game. You're not going to make any gains in the warm up, but in the training session, I know they do the same thing. You know, they do yeah. the hurdle drills and whatnot, but you're not working at end range. So mm -hmm. if you're only working at 
mid-range the whole time, the law of specificity says if you're getting good at what you're doing. So only working at mid-range, you're only going to be good at end range. So with FRS, we're, we're really trying to work at end range, but we're trying to use a systematic approach in order to improve joint optimization and longevity and health. And I don't think any other systems doing that at this level, uh, Dr. Spina and Dr. Chivers are, in my opinion, uh, some of the best, mo- most progressive manual therapists in the world. And, and I feel it has a strong uh, application to not only general population, but to the sports world. Um, we've done some work in the States with some LLS teams. Um, we haven't made our way over to Great Britain yet, but I think we've done some work in Liverpool and London, which I'm sure there was some strength conditioning and sport performance coaches out there. Mm. And yeah, I just, I just feel it, it just takes, you got to keep up with a good fight. You just got to make sure you educate people in the right way. For me, it's, it's leading from the front, leading by example. Uh, teaching the kids that something that I can do, I, I have to be able to visually give them a representation of what I want them to do. So I feel for me personally, I need to walk the walk and talk the talk. Uh, but with kids, I just, um, they don't really understand, or even players, like the better body control you have, the better player you're going to be on the field. I mean, you've got Chavi and Iniesta, some of the best midfielders in the world, their body control was superior towards anyone else and they weren't necessarily the fastest they weren't well they were fastest with the ball or quickest but they weren't necessarily the strongest but their ability to control their body was superior and I kind of use that example to other people and it kind of paints the picture to make them understand uh, the importance of body control and when we increase body control we want to look at the joint level and then work more superficially yeah brilliant I'm going to put the question to you now that we discussed before, and I know you touched on it a little bit before, but I know there's a bit more to go into. If a young gainer came in to see you now <laughs> and you were going to train yourself from a few years ago, and, and obviously we'll touch on your approach with, with young Dana, but also what you did back then that you'd maybe want to amend with the extra knowledge and experience that you have now. Yeah, man. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I'm very fortunate that I can look back and pay back for my experiences and not necessarily owe up for my mistakes, but look at things that I was focusing on when I was a player and look at it and reflect and then teach kids now to be like, okay, these are things that I feel personally would have made me a better player. Uh, I mean, I thought personally, obviously, through education and being in the field for almost over 10 years, you kind of look back and you're like, okay, well, if I did that, was speaking to a young Dana, what would I, what would I say? Uh, I think the first thing would be meditation, the importance of meditation. Uh, there's a little bit of a taboo around it. Meditation, I, I, you know, it's, 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 it's a little, you know, it can be spiritual. It can be, you know, some people poo-poo it and whatnot, but the power of the mind, the ability to control your emotions, the ability to be in that flow state, uh, which is basically flow state is the ability to kind of slow down time in front of you. Relating it to, to soccer, you look at, you know, you're, you're able to see two passes ahead. You're able to see the winger running down the field before he's even run down the field and you play the ball there. Um, so meditation, I find, is the ability to kind of unravel the layers and be more natural to who you are and be less reactive to your emotion. Uh, And that is in conjunction with breath work. Um, We use breath work to control the autonomic nervous system. 
So breathing in conjunction with meditation would probably be number one for sure. Um, just a regular meditation practice. And I find mentally when you get to a high level, it's not necessarily the skill that separates the players. It's the mental ability. It's the ability to visualize, the ability to handle your emotions and the ability to be consistently good day in, day out. Uh, the second would be the hips for sure. Uh, like we talked about before, for me personally, I had this connotation that if I was stronger and faster, I would be a better player, which is somewhat true. But if you can't move and you're too muscle bound, chasing bodybuilding exercises, you're losing your effectiveness on the field. Uh, we're not training to be bodybuilders. Strength work does have its importance. Don't get me wrong. Hypertrophy does have its importance. Don't get me wrong. It, it definitely helps with injury mitigation. It definitely helps with um, strength and it definitely helps with your ability to shield and be strong in the field. Absolutely. But you have to look at time. If you're acquiring X amount of time bodybuilding and weightlifting, when you could be utilizing that time for something else that would make me more effective, because we're always looking at the, for the minimal effective dose. Uh, that would be mobility work. And that would be not expressing your mobility. That would be training your mobility. So yeah. like we talked about before, it's, it's a huge component. And expressing your mobility is expressing what you already have. Training your mobility is trying to improve your, improve your end range. And the only way to improve your end range is to train at your end range. Uh, third component... Yeah, nutrition. Uh, I went to school in West Virginia. So this is more to me. I mean, nutrition was a big thing. West Virginia doesn't necessarily have the best nutrition out there. Uh, so understanding the importance of, you know, carb loading, carbohydrates, uh, high fat diets, protein, uh, replenishing after. So I think nutrition would fall under the recovery component, um, the ability to recover, um, the importance of sleep, uh, all those things I feel, uh, is starting to catch wave now. I think sleep importance and nutrition and hydration and all those components there are super important. Uh, people are starting to understand the importance of that. So that would probably be the third, third component. So kind of the recovery of how that blends into nutrition, hydration, supplementation, and, and having that whole umbrella, uh, I think would have, would have made me a better player. And I think it would make anyone else a better player. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you're always developing technical skill work. I always tell my players probably one of the best ways to develop technical skill work is playing off the wall. That's something that I did day in, day out to develop my touch. Uh, and I think to give back to any experiences for kids, if they want to get better, it's got to be a daily thing. It's got to be a daily thing. Cause if you're not getting better on a daily basis, someone else is. And I think it's probably about 1% is, is playing at the professional level right now. So you look at that such, such a small percentage, if you're not getting better on a daily basis, then, then someone else is going to take your starting spot or even take your spot on the 18. So. And that just applies into what you were talking about before about expressing versus training as well, isn't it? That, that can be exactly the same with the technical. Are you just going to turn up and play, play games or are you actually going to work on some technical work away from, the pitch as well. And that's, that's what right. it comes down to, isn't it? Well, yeah, I remember, I just read an article last week. Uh, Coleman was saying uh, the Barcelona head coach was saying that Messi was the savage, the savage in training. Like he didn't he, like finishing girls. He was like 99% of the time things were back at the net. It's very serious. Some of the young lads were, you know, having to laugh a little bit during training and whatnot. And Messi was just, you know, hundred percent of training every time. And I mean, this goes with any sport you want training to be the hard part 
and then you want the game to be the easy part, right? Because you can't all of a sudden turn it on in the game and expect yourself to perform at a high level. So training at a high level, you should look at the game as an easy part. You yeah. should look at that as a, as a, as a, a competition that you should have fun and obviously compete to your highest level. But if you train at a hundred percent and you play at a hundred percent, that transition easy. If you train mm -hmm. at 75% and then you, you know, play at, try to play at a hundred percent, there's a, there's a missing link there. So yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. And, uh, and it's interesting you bring up the, the bodybuilding approach to players because it, it's probably what everyone reverts to when they first get into gym work, especially players that I played with and, and coached around the UK, because I think it comes down to education, doesn't it? Like there's, there's, that's where people revert because they know that in gyms there are bodybuilders. So that's the way of training. Whereas the information around what footballers should do or soccer players should do in the gym, there probably isn't as much out there or hasn't been in the past. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just a part of the culture. I don't know if it's a male thing, you know, it's, it's something that we do resort to that we want to look fit. And looking fit is, 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 is fine. It's, you know, we don't want to be all Amane Traore, but I mean, he's an exception. He's, he's big, he's fast. He's one type of player. That's fine. But you got to look at the ability to control yourself with the ball. So if you're dedicating time in the gym and you're taking time away from the ball, and I guarantee you, if someone's better than you on the ball, then the time you're spending in the gym is not necessarily as effective as it could be. Uh, but you're right, Ben. It, it's kind of, it's things that we were or two because it is a part of the gym culture don't get me wrong strength dude does have its component but should we bench press right mm -hmm. or if you're doing bench press and you can't do a proper push-up we're skipping steps if you can't even do a proper body weight squat and then we start loading you through the spine through a barbell back squat we're skipping steps mm -hmm. so when you're skipping steps those steps are going to catch up to you sooner or later either with injury or or delay in in progress uh with bodybuilding stuff it's yeah it's, i think it's a part of a lot of sport cultures uh it does have its place uh, but not as much as people think i mean lifting five times a week yeah okay but then are you lifting so much that you become restricted and you become tight and then you lead to a um, muscle tissue injury so i think with relating it to martial arts would kind of be a big thing i mean martial arts was kind of my first exposure to a practice in a, in a, in a discipline art, it's the ability to control your body. Like uh, you should be able to have full range of motion around your hip. That should be something that you want to chase instead of getting a, a double weight or a, a weight, a 1.5 body weight bench press. So, yeah, I think it's just, we need to kind of rethink and look back uh, what we're really trying to achieve muscle mass does help it does help mitigate injury but i don't think uh spending as much time in the gym as people do i think they're getting law diminishing returns just basically means is the energy that you're putting in is you're not necessarily getting the full results back yeah definitely and it's interesting i know you said before we started recording that it was something that you did when you were younger because you were told that you needed more muscle you need to be bigger but then the other side of that is when coaches see it they're like oh now they don't move that well. And it's like, well, we're weighing right. things up here. Like what, what are we working on and why, why are we doing what we're doing? hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're a center midfielder, you, you know, you need some ball to you and there's certain periods that you can do 
muscle building. I'm working with an athlete that's 19 years old. He's looking at trials here in the United States. And yeah, he needs, he needs probably about 10 pounds of muscle and bodybuilding stuff will acquire that. But at what cost? We don't want to lose your supplements. We don't want to lose your pliability at that. So can we gain weight effectively without losing your ability to have body control in the field? And I think we can for sure. Uh, and also too, sometimes you look at guys that are twigs and they're so strong on the ball, you can't even push them off. So are we really grading someone, how they look on the exterior of how much muscle mass they have in comparison to someone that has superior ball shielding skills and you can't even get the ball off them and they're 165 so they're probably like 75 kilos soaking wet so it's like i think it just all comes down to what you're trying to achieve uh what how you're putting energy in towards trying to achieve that and what are you sacrificing while you're doing that and i feel when people acquire bodybuilding their majority of the time bodybuilding attributes they're losing that supplement they're losing the ability to move on the field and, and when they can be uh, using that energy and time for something else that can make them way more effective on the field. It's dealing with each individual like a case study, isn't it? Because we've got to look at them and then, and I know it's hard for the coaches that have got a lot of players in a group to deal with them like that, but um, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? We might have a player, like you said, that, that's light, but how good are they technically? You, look, you can think of a number of players that play at the top level that don't have the right. muscle mass, but they, they're so good at what they do. Someone that comes to mind is right. a player like Busquets or someone like that. So good yep. at what they do. They don't necessarily need, if we put him on a, on a bodybuilding plan and adding some muscle, is that going to improve him? No, no. And, and that's taking time away that he can get better with the ball. Because mm. really, what, what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to be competing? in a bodybuilding competition or are we trying to be better footballers yeah and i know in north america it's big because you got that rah 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 you kind of got that american culture of football or american football mind you and you know the mls is pretty physical and the technical level but we lack the technical level there so it's like what are we doing here I feel if we can get at par at the technical level, I feel combining that physicality with the technical level would make us much better in the United States and Canada, but it's not really. I mean, there is some exceptions now. Uh, Alfonso Davies is a great exception. He was probably, he was, he probably gained about 15, 20 pounds at Bayern. Mind you though, he went there when he was 17, hitting puberty. He's 19, 20 years old now, and he's absolute specimen. He's just yeah. absolute specimen. And I was watching a uh, YouTube documentary on their their strength conditioning coach and how he does micro periodizations in order to build muscle mass off season because it's very difficult um, when conditioning in your cardiovascular is so much in demand in season. He finds ways to uh, basically shock the system through hypertrophy. And then obviously still utilize your plyometrics and all components that you train, but he's doing great success of gaining guys some muscle mass. I mean, look, Lewandowski, Davies, all these guys that come to Bayern, they're absolute specimens and they're still world-class uh, footballers. So there is a right way to do it. Uh, I feel obviously that's at a world-class level at Bayern Munich. They're very intelligent, very smart of how they do things. Uh, but they're not losing that suppleness and that ability to move on the field. So they're obviously doing something right. And I think they're utilizing those small break windows. I think they said over uh, Christmas break, they got a couple of weeks off. That's an opportunity for them to do some uh, strength and strength stuff. And then when they're in season, they basically try to maintain and make sure that they're 
mitigating the amount of injuries that they have through the type of training that they're doing. Just a very quick update on our online community. In the last few weeks, we've actually added another section to the community in our WhatsApp group. When you become a community member, you do get access to our Football Fitness Federation WhatsApp group. It's some great conversations that go on. But we've just added a Members Monday. So every Monday, one of our members gets either a question together or a topic for us to discuss in the WhatsApp group. We've had some brilliant discussions over the last few weeks. This week's was all around cohesive coaching, working with technical coaches. So there's some great input from some of our members. Um, we also have on the community the presentations coming from our events on the 4th of November and 16th of November at Leighton Orient Football Club and Newcastle United. Those presentations will be uploaded after the event, so you'll get access to those as well as all the information that's already on there. Webinars, presentations, interviews, loads of great content already on the community. Not to mention the upgrade that has um, now been completed on there as well. So you can go and check it out. If you're not already a community member, go to www.footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there. It will give you one month free. You can see exactly what it's all about. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. Um, and you get continued access to everything that's available on there right now including all the great content we've got coming up as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, click community tab, sign up there, get yourself a free month and come and join in with some of the great discussions going on in our WhatsApp group as well. Let's dive into part two of the podcast with Dana. Yeah, and I know you touched on here in terms of strength work and I wanted to highlight this is that, because I know a lot of the stuff that you put out is around strength and power development as well. So when we're talking about mm -hmm spending time on mobility, using the FRC and, and doing that sort of work, there is a big requirement as well for strength work and power work, isn't there? Um, sure. And I wanted to make sure we get that across so that that is an important factor too. Yeah, it's all about reinforced development. So your ability to have neurological firing, neurological control, neurological explosiveness, having that ability to create force specifically, plyometrically, uh, Football players are basically sprinters. I mean, you get some some people in the wingers, they're they're straight up sprinters. I mean, Kyle Walker comes to mind. That guy is absolutely a specimen and he's a world-class sprinter. I'm sure he can run a sub sub eleven hundred meter for sure. Uh, so you have those special players, um, certain players that need to develop that. You need to combine strength work because hypertrophy blends well with power development. So the larger cross-sectional units that you have, the better rate force development that you can um, fire. So the conjunction of hypertrophy work with power work and plyometric work is super effective. Uh, but you got to look at load management. So load, load management basically comes down to how much are you stressing these athletes that what you're trying to, what training stimulus you're trying to achieve is, is it effective or not? And I know now with technology, you have aura ring, you have whoop, you have certain things that can detect HRV. You obviously have load, uh, load management in terms of plyometric volume and whatnot. Uh, but that is a huge component. Uh, I would take a player obviously all day that is very explosive with and without the ball and that I can utilize and give some technical ability in comparison to a player that may be lacking um, that explosiveness, that, that quickness, and, and has 
good technical ability. So it's kind of that battle between the two. So what do you take? You have a player that's really good technically and super slow and well, not super slow, but slow. And then you have a player that's super explosive, but like kind of lacks that technical, technical ability. It seems to always be that trade-off. I don't know which one to kind of backtrack what I was saying. I don't know which one I would, would, would pick. I would probably, for me in my field, I like kind of taking that slow player and, and trying to make him a little bit quicker, especially at like, like 13, 14 years old. Uh, or, or do you take that, you know, athletic specimen and teach him technical ability and teach him to be very good with the ball? That's, that's my job. That's what I love. I mean, you assess the player and you look at them on the field and you see what they need to improve on. And both, both those types of players are, uh, are something that I, I like to help. And I, I really like doing for sure. And you need that blend, don't you, in a squad? of those two types of players. Like you think of any of the top teams has been around the world. There's always been more um, physically gifted or players with higher physical attributes alongside the technical sort of players as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So there has to be that blend, doesn't there as well? But I suppose it's just bringing up, bringing up weaknesses, working on strengths. That's the sort of toss up that we're talking about, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's the skill and the art. So the skill and the art is, or the science and the art, right? I mean, you, you assess and you see what they need. Uh, I think the bottom line, you have to be able to run. You have to have a good aerobic system. If you don't have a good aerobic system, everything else is going to go to shit. So yeah. developing aerobic conditioning is, is such a key, key component. That can be developed over time. That obviously can be developed over more game experience, more training experience and whatnot. But training that zone two which basically helps the pulling in the left ventricle, it's left ventricle uh, hypertrophy. So as you start to get that steady state per se, so you're looking at probably about 120 to 150 beats per minute, you're basically building the gas tank of the player. And another way of looking at it is the peak of the pyramid is only as reliant on the width of the base. So the width of your base is basically your aerobic system. Uh, That can be developed through riding a bike, so when you ride a bike, you're not eccentrically stressing the tissue. You can handle more volume. You can handle more load without any uh, over over stimulus or over stress towards the tissue. Uh, still, obviously, we're looking at as a football player where we're runners. I mean, you have to be able to run. If you don't, if you're out of shape and you're not conditioned, whatever you do is going to go to shit in terms of your touch or your ability to make decisions on the field. So there's different ways that you can, you know train that train your aerobic base but that's probably number one that has to be number one so i think we have a misunderstanding maybe not necessarily at the high level uh at the kind of youth amateur level we feel that you know doing wind sprints and and killing people and doing burpees and all these things they're going to help help kids get better but really it's it's getting the comfortability to be able to run uh at a steady state i mean the old school way of of measuring your heart rate is being able to keep a conversation while you jog. Uh, I know when I was training in Europe, we, you know, we would do 20, 20 minutes before training, 20 minutes after training, just like jog around the field. That was an opportunity for us to shoot the shit and, and talk and whatnot. And now I look back in hindsight and I understand what they were doing in Germany. They were developing aerobic base. And now that I'm more educated and I kind of understand the importance of it, that might've been the fourth thing that I probably would have changed is just the importance of your aerobic conditioning. Uh, now it's amazing because you have your heart rate strap. Mm-hmm. I tell my students, you know, 30, 45 minutes at 120, 150, 
preferably between 121, uh, 121.40 and, and keep that for about 45 minutes. Uh, and that's going to give you tremendous amounts of results, not only for stress management, load management, decision-making on the field, your ability to, to cover distance on the field. It just, it just crosses off so many boxes. Uh, and aerobic conditioning is something that we're starting to really understand more of the science now. Uh, and like I said before, if you look at the science with that steady state, your left ventricle, it, it hypertrophies, which is a good thing. You get more pulling to the, to the blood or to the heart. As you get more pulling to the heart, you can distribute more blood around benefits with mitochondria, benefits with red blood cells, all those things. And it's a misunderstanding if you develop your aerobic system at a slow pace, you're going to be slow. So if you look at Kachogi, he ran a marathon in sub two hours. That's not slow at all. He averaged 13.5 miles per hour. That's not slow at all. Like, like a, nobody can run that and like the, for him. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a full out sprint. And it's also to another connotation. If you're developing aerobic system three, four times a week, 45 minutes to an hour, that's not going to make you slow because that's not the only thing that you're doing. You're doing other things. You're getting touches, you're doing strength work, you're doing mobility work. Hopefully you're meditating. So it's like, I think that sometimes people think, Oh, you're going to become slow if you, if you run miles, but no, you're not. And I think that's one of the first things that you need to cross off. You have to be able to run. Cause from my experience, soccer or football was, was torturous. If I was out of shape, it absolutely yeah. sucked. Uh, my decision-making went to shit. My touch went to shit. Everything went to shit when my conditioning was, wasn't, was shit. So it's like, what do we need to do here? We need to develop our aerobic base. So giving back or trying to educate like a 12, 13 year old, you have to, you have to like running then. For me, I didn't necessarily like running. I like running after a ball. So mm -hmm. I would find ways to integrate the ball because I feel you're crossing off two boxes or two birds with one stone. You can do your conditioning work with the ball, but there is some things that you need to do just to develop your base. So it's not running and sprinting every single day. It's, it's getting that zone two work. It's getting that, that uh, zone two is basically 120 to 140 beats per minute uh, going by, by the five zone uh, grade scale. And yeah, I mean, that, that's super beneficial because the lower your resting heart rate too, the more effective your heart is, is yeah. working. So you look at now with, um, um, stress, uh, uh, stress management or HRV tracking, uh, you, that has that kind of data that you can say, okay, this is my resting heart rate. This is my HRV. Obviously HRV changes from day to day, depending on, uh, physical and emotional stress and sleep quality. Uh, but now with HRV, we can use that as a load management in either to back off on people's training, certain individualize it, or to put the pedal to the metal and have a high intensity training session. Uh, I find that wasn't existent when I was playing and that might've been a little bit effective for me to kind of pick and choose when I would, would train at high intensities and low intensities. Yeah, brilliant. There was a couple of things I just wanted to just go into before we just touch on, because I was going to ask about the FRC like program as well in terms of um, mm -hmm. if guys are interested and, and just sort of give us where they can go. But just before we go into that, first thing, if, when, if we're taking an example of a player that is struggling with um, internal rotation of the hip, which I'm sure there's going to be plenty out there, how often are we looking at working on, and I know, I know it's very tough on because we have got the video going, but it, it is going to go out on audio as well. So I'm not expecting you to show any drills or anything like that, but because people can go and see the work that you do. 
but how regular, what's the sort of frequency we need to be thinking about in terms of improving this range of motion? So <clears throat> through the system, I'm just going to refer to the system, so function range system. So it's an umbrella, it's a systematic approach. So we have soft tissue work through function range release, which is manual therapist. And then we have functional range assessment, which is a uh, joint by joint assessment through active and passive ratios. And another key component that probably is the most fundamental thing within the system is controlled articular rotation. We have FRC, which is the individual, taking the individual in front of me, running them through an FRA, understanding where their physical deficiencies are, and then training their physical deficiencies. Also too, looking at their prerequisites. So if you take a player, if they have limited ankle dorsiflexion, I'm not gonna make them front squat or back squat because we know if we're insulting the assessment and we're ignoring the prerequisites that it takes to back squat, for example, we're skipping steps and we're not necessarily optimizing to our full potential. Then the other component is kin stretch. So kin stretch basically falls under the FRC umbrella. Kin stretch is a group approach. So uh, through the FRC principles. So you take a team, you take a, a group of people and you teach them control the ticket rotations. You have pails and rails. These are all things that fall under the FRC umbrella, but with kin stretch, it's more, uh, general per se. With FRC, it's more individualized. And then you have FRA that kind of takes that individual to understand what they need. And then functional range release is soft tissue, palpation, assessment through length, assessment um, through specific structures to see if they're uh, optimally working at their full potential or full capabilities. Uh, now to speak about controlled excuse me, uh, to speak about controlled articular rotations, that is probably, we call it like the Swiss army knife of FRS. Uh, that is basically working your joint by joint at end range of motion. We encourage our students to do it first thing in the morning through a morning routine, um, just to get the snow wheel fluid going. You can use it as a diagnostic tool to understand where some limitations are in your hip. Also, we use it as an assessment. So if you take a hip carb, so hip control the ticket rotation, you're going to come into the external rotation of the hip, you're going to come into full flexion, you're going to abduct the hip, then you're going to internally roll the hip, or internally rotate the hip, then you're going to extend and wrap around. From there, I can take assessment zones to understand, okay, well, I have a goalkeeper, for example. Lateral motion is super important for a goalkeeper. So what tissue is being stressed on the field for him? And then what tissue can I stress specifically for him to make that transferability and specificity of said or of the specific uh, tissue on the field? So to go back to your example with internal rotation, that's just a broad understanding or a broad kind of assessment base. The only reason I said that is because I find it, it's neglected in the requirements of daily life. Mm. Uh, if you're a hockey goalkeeper, for example, you might live in internal rotation as a butterfly style. Uh, but with cars, you're looking at assessment zones where they lack. So say, for example, you come into full hip flexion and you look at, they don't have good hip flexion, but he's a winger he needs good active hip flexion to be a sprinter. If he, there's a discrepancy between active and passive, meaning that I can bring his hip up and towards his chest passively, but then I'm actively telling him to bring his hip uh, knee up and towards his chest, there's a discrepancy there. Mm. As there's a discrepancy there, we know he's compensating to get to that range of motion. Also with hip extension, you look at hip extension, hip extension is usually coupled with lumbar extension. With hip extension coupled with lumbar extension, if you don't have fundamental joint motion through your hip, 
where's the low back pain going to go? If you can't extend through the hip properly, all the force is going to go through the low back, then we might have low back injuries. So I think in terms of frequency, you have to maintain your range on a daily motion, a daily, daily, uh, you have to maintain your range of motion daily mm. with cars. It's working circumduction, working and range around said joint. It's training outside those regular lines that you may encompass or encounter on a daily basis on the field, specific, uh, positional field athletes. They encompass the same range of motion, probably on a daily basis. Like we talked about the, the hip warm up. They're, they're doing the same thing over and over, and they're not really pushing the threshold of end range, therefore to improve their range of motion, therefore to improve their strength through the range of motion. Also, too, if you can't create tension and you can't contract in the range of motion, you can't control the range of motion. So there's, like we said before, the discrepancy between flexibility and mobility. With a specific player, for example, if they, like we said, with a hip internal rotation example, we want to basically isolate that joint as much as we can, because if we don't isolate that joint, we're going to get compensation and coupling. And when we get compensation and coupling, we're not truly training what we're trying to achieve. So with internal rotation, we use the first thing that we need to do if someone uh, lacks that deficiency, physical deficiency, we want to do pails and rails. For me personally, being a manual therapist, I would assess the hip. I would see if there's any aberrant tissue function or aberrant joint function, go from there make it very specific. Maybe certain tissues are not lengthening at proper length. I would go through that area through functional uh, release. Then through a training stimulus, we, we utilize something that's called pails and rails. Uh, some people may compare it to PNF, but it's incomparable to PNF. Basically, we call pails and rails PNF on steroids. So progressive angular isometric load. You take the stretch tissue. So whatever you're stretching, say if you're stretching internal rotation, you're stretching the tissue at length, which means progressive. You're working anywhere upwards to 70, 80, 90% MBC, so maximum voluntary contraction. Because we know in order to stress the tissue and stress the motor unit, we need to fatigue it. So at low levels, we're not going to get the training output that we want. The training input has to be at max, the high intensity, in order to adapt the tissue, in order to stress the tissue, in order to improve the range of motion. Then the regressive side is the ability to contract in a shortened position. Now, the ability to contract in a shortened position is neurological in nature. What that means is your nervous system has representation of certain areas in your body, depending on how much body control you have. It may have a, a broader understanding, a broader real estate, a broader understanding of that real estate. With rails contraction, it's the ability to contract in a shortened position. And this is where the frustrating thing comes in because most of us don't contract in a shortened position because we live in mid-ranges. Mid-ranges is where we're the most comfortable in. So rails is high intensity contraction in a shortened position. So if you take a bicep, for example, so they say you do a bicep curl, so you're in full elbow flexion, okay? My pales contraction is I'm going to come into elbow extension, okay? Now, if you look at, I'm stressing the whole posterior side of my radius and ulna, uh, radius and ulna, I'm stretching, or I'm stressing the whole posterior side of me, humerus. If it's contraction, physiologically, I probably only can hold about 10 seconds. Then I do my rails contraction. My rails contraction is taking the anterior side of my humerus, the radius, and ulna, and I'm trying to squeeze to shorten that range of motion. 
Okay, that's probably the best example that you can do to understand what pales and rails are. So full elbow flexion, pales, I'm trying to elbow extend. Rails, I'm trying to increase more elbow flexion by contracting to a high level contraction. So with comparison to PNF, PNF is just contract, relax, and PNF doesn't get you up towards high, upwards to 70% MVC because we know in order to induce strength changes, you have to be 70%, upwards of 70%. So with internal rotation, as that example, we want to stress if we're training at high levels, neurologically max effort, one set, but right away, I would not do that. I would ease someone into it. First, I would try to get someone in the stretch position, get them to understand where they feel the stretch because you can't create awareness without change. So if I put you in a stretch position and you don't really have a good uh, understanding of that posture and position where you're feeling the stretch, then we're kind of skipping steps. So that would be the first step. Maybe after a couple of weeks, then, or maybe after a week or so, I would start to stress the pales contraction, low level, just get them to understand how to contract in that position, then maybe tinker in a rails, and then I would start doing high level uh, pales rails. Uh, and that's over a course of a long period of time, but while they're doing that, they're still trying to improve and maintain the range of motion through cars. Uh, depending on the athlete, if you get a kid 12 years old, Cars are pretty potent, man. They're really potent. Uh, their their tissues still way more malleable. Their bodies just way more open for information in comparison to maybe a 25 year old footballer that's you know that you know never done internal rotation since he was 10. And you know that's when kind of pales and rails would be very effective. Don't get me wrong, doing that with a 12 year old would make that. Uh, training output or the long-term training outcome much more stimulus, uh, much more potent. But at a 12-year-old doing cars on a regular basis, I've seen some really good improvements with kids over three to four weeks. Just getting this ability to contract in that range, full range of motion around the hip or whatever knee, ankle. Uh, but the pails and rails would be more effective, in my opinion, with someone in their mid-20s that, you know, you need to make changes and their body's a little bit more uh, ingrained in that area. Uh, but yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, 100%. No, it's fascinating. I could I could speak about this sort of stuff all day. And I, I think as well, if people think that they're strong, go and give some of these, go and give some of these uh, drills a go because it's soon... It, it um, puts you in positions and 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 stresses that you probably not feel when you when you're doing strength work in the gym because um, it is a very different feeling, isn't it? But uh, for me, I for think sure. this is the difference. Like this is the transfer to performance in that you, what you were talking about before the difference, which training strength through flexibility. But this is the real um, key for getting that transfer from strength work to more specific strength work and then hitting the the angles and getting the control. Um, that you need out on the pitch as well. So, uh, Dana, just if people want more information about the system, where would you direct and where's the best place for, place for them to go? Yeah, so functioning systems, right now we're still doing uh, online certifications or online seminars. Uh, the seminars two days, uh, eventually when the world opens up a little bit, we'll be traveling around, uh, traveling around again, um, teaching FRC. FRC would probably be the first uh, seminar that you would want to expose yourself to. And then from there, 
Um, we're releasing a new uh, internal strength course, which is the release in the new year, uh, which is new material. Uh, usually, well, we want people to be familiar with the system before they dive into kin stretch, for example, before they dive into FRA. Uh, so FRC, if you're a trainer or therapist, that would probably be the first uh, seminar that you would want to expose yourself to. And you can go on functionalrangesystems.com or Dr. Andreo Spina on Instagram. He is the creator of the system and he has a lot of good information there. And we're releasing things on our stories when uh, seminars are being released and the dates and whatnot. Um, and then you have other pages. Uh, I'm promoting the system a lot and how I utilize it with my students and athletes. And then you have a whole plethora of instructor, uh, instructors that are on the website that you can kind of click and follow to kind of expose yourself to. Perfect. Well, I know we're, we're getting on towards an hour, but I was just going to see if we could get through some of the quick fire questions that we finish the podcast with normally as well. Um, yeah. So the first one sure. I always ask is some of the, your biggest influences on your career so far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in my, in my training career or sorry, my soccer career, obviously do my father. My father was my uh, biggest fan and biggest critic. So he definitely conditioned me and to be very disciplined. He's the one that, taught me you know if you want to get better you got to get better on a daily basis don't bullshit yourself by thinking that you're going to get better sitting on the couch playing video games so my father was a huge huge influence towards me in terms of my career uh, playing soccer uh, and then transitioning out of my career into the career that I'm in now or transitioning out of my soccer playing career into the career I am now um, it would be obviously Dr. Andrea Ospina he exposed me to a different way of thinking, uh, something that I really resonate with and I really encompass and embody. He is one of my mentors that, you know, teaches me uh, or exposes me to information and has influenced me in a tremendous way. I've been very fortunate that I've traveled the world with him and I've heard him speak multiple, multiple times. And every single time he still teaches me something new and still gets me to laugh. So he is a, is a key mentor in my life and my career right now. Uh, yeah, those probably be the two, two main people for sure. I'm very fortunate to uh, meet some very smart people along the way in my career. And it's motivated me to continuously better myself. I'm going back to school in my mid thirties was an easy, and I just really wanted to have that full uh, full approach of human optimization through manual therapy, strength conditioning, mobility, and being involved with the system with Dr. Andrea Spina has really kind of pushed me to ask better questions, and it's really pushed me to uh, be a better trainer and now become a, a manual therapist. Brilliant. And then the next one, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? <sighs> Always being a student and not taking no for an answer or never giving up. Uh, as you know, as an entrepreneur, as a uh, small business per se, it, you know, business is the amount, of, the amount of business that you retain is the amount of effort that you put in. So mm -hmm. I think for me, 
there's been lots of ups and downs uh, with trying to push through, but I didn't really take no for an answer and I always continuously better myself. So I think one of the biggest strengths for me is continuously improving. And I've been fortunate that I've encompassed a lot of things that I, uh, that I preach and teach about. So walking the walk and being able to visually demonstrate and being able to physically walk the walk has been one of my strength suits. And now I've been trying to back that up with a little bit more uh, science and, and education. Uh, so kind of role reversal, because um, obviously as you get older, you're not going to really want to rely on your practical ability too much. You kind of want to rely on your mind. I mean, there's an old saying, when you're in your 20s, you train with your balls. And when you're in your 30s, you train with your brains. So I think <laughs> I'm starting to transition into that. So uh, yeah, I think it's just continuously improving. I mean, one of my life ethos and mantras is Kazen. So that's a uh, small incremental improvements on a daily basis, even if it's uh, 0% or 0.1%. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I think continuously improving and never giving up. Brilliant. And then just last one, where do you do your learning now? Where, like, what's your approach to continually improving? Yeah, so I just got a two-year degree for massage therapy uh, in Canada. It's a highly, it's a health profession, so it falls under the umbrella of health professions within Canada, Ontario. Uh, so that was a, I wasn't really a good student when I competed and played NCAA division one. It wasn't really the top of my priority per se when I was in my younger twenties. So going back to school and learning how to study, learning how to retain information, I felt that was a, it was a good diving into the deep end per se was a, was a really good uh, choice that I made. Uh, as of right now, I, I make sure I have my people, my resources that, that I want to resort to. Uh, my meditation teacher online, Sam Harris, he's, uh, he's quality in terms of teaching meditation. Uh, and the system, functioning systems, we're continuously coming out with new information. So uh, that's something that I always resort to to learn through. As of right now, I'm trying to improve my palpation skills and improve my anatomy at a deeper level. So that seems to be my main source. So my main source right now, I mean, it's the internet is, is a gift and a curse because you don't <laughs> want to spread yourself too thin with the amount of information out there. So you kind of have your sources uh, uh, that way. Uh, I like to read. I like to read. So right now, one of my main interests is... Uh, uh, hormones and, and chemicals of, of the brain. So neurotransmitters and whatnot. So Dr. Andrew Huberman is a mm -hmm. great resource that way. He's releasing quality information on a regular basis on, on dopamine, oxyto oxytocin, uh, norepinephrine, all those components there of the hormonal chem chemical system. So, yeah, I think those probably the three, three or four key things uh and yeah yeah that's pretty well it yeah i listened to one of his podcasts recently because i put out a poll on a on our instagram page for podcast recommendations and someone recommended it and it blew my mind um when he was talking yeah. about stress and yeah go and get if anyone's listening that wants a podcast recommendation go and give that a listen because it's it's brilliant um some great information on there well dana Quality. thank you very much mate for coming on i really appreciate your time um, I've wanted to get you on for, for a while because I knew some of this stuff would be great for the listeners. So I really appreciate you giving up your time and coming on. Ben, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy it finally worked out and I'm happy to kind of promote what I'm about. If anybody wants to give me a follow, 
uh, at DGH Perform. I'm consistently pumping out the material now through my stories and posts and whatnot. And like I said, if you want more information about Functioning Systems, you can look at functioningsystems.com. If you don't know where to start, I would personally suggest, depending on your background, I would personally start with FRC. Um, that would give you a, a great first step in order to be exposed to the system. And then from there, there's multiple other outlets, depending on how you want to utilize. There's assessment base, there's group class base, and there's a manual therapy palpation uh, information or about palpation seminar. So yeah, thank you again, Ben. I appreciate it. Great conversation. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, mate. Awesome. Big thank you to Dana for coming on the podcast and giving up his time. He's someone that I follow for a long time and I wanted to get him onto the podcast to discuss some of the great information that he puts out there as well. So a big thank you to him for giving up his time. Head over to Instagram, search DJH Perform and give him a follow over there. He put That's where he puts out the majority of his great um, content. Takeaways on this one, I think there's loads of great stuff and loads of really applicable stuff that coaches can put into Um, preparation programs for players. He talked about strength through flexibility, which is all around the functional range system. If it's not something that you're um, aware of, go and search for the the work that the guys do um, using that system because some great little drills that you can put into practice um, and understanding the sort of methodologies also that go into that system as well. He talked about expressing versus training mobility. Do we just express it? Do we just express it out on the pitch? Or are we actually training it? Are we trying to improve the mobility around our joints? He talked about passive passive range before active range. So this is the sort of process that they go through with the system as well. And then when we got into some of the areas, because obviously Dana's an ex-player as well, um, talking about how he would alter his preparation, things he might add into his preparation if we were to go back and and coach a young Dana. He talked about meditation being one, achieving that flow state, and that can mean different things to different people. I know a lot of people will sort of shrug it off as soon as they hear the word meditation, but it mean, if you start looking into it, it doesn't necessarily mean sitting there cross-legged humming. Um, it can mean a number of different things and just taking yourself into that flow state. And I think he, he gave quite a, a really good explanation of, of what he does and how he implements that into his routine as well. And then also managing your time. So he spoke about that. And I think that applies in a business sense, in a, in a sort of productivity sense as well. Um, so some really great stuff to, from, from Dana and I do encourage you to go and check out some of his work. I understand on a podcast it can be quite hard to talk about some of these drills and ways of working. So make it visual, go and have a look at some of the stuff and the videos that the guys put out because um, they do some great work, stuff that can be implemented with players right now. So go and give go and give him a search, DJH Perform. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like I said, we've got our events coming up in November. So it'd be great to see as many of the listeners there as possible. There's still tickets available. Go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop and grab yourself some tickets for the events at Leighton Orient and Newcastle. We will also be confirming some events very soon for December too. So keep an eye out for those. But big thank you as always for listening and supporting the podcast. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 160.